Very good. Turn, if you would, this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have together. I pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to minister to our hearts, God, that you'd help us to be reminded of the truth and to be willing to accept it. And I pray that you'd help us, uh, Lord, to be the better Christians because of our time together that we need to be. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began looking in chapter 3 and we watched as Solomon explained a life-governing rule a rule that governs every person's life, whether we like to admit it or not. And the rule that he conveyed and explained in the first eight verses of this chapter was this, is that our lives are in a constant season, for lack of better words, a constant season of change. There are going to be good days. There are going to be bad days. There will be fun days. There will be hard days. There will be uh, just pleasurable days. There will be difficult days. That is the way life works. And the reality for many of us is, is we don't mind that rule when things are going good. When life is going good for us, we're, we're fine with how this works. And yet, whenever things are going against us, when things aren't going in our favor, we tend to have a different attitude, do we not? And uh, the sooner we understand this, the sooner that we accept it and we have a right attitude and a right spirit, the better off we'll be. And that kind of reveals some maturity about us. If we're always mad and always upset when the difficult days come, it kind of lets us know we're not as mature as we think we are. All right? So that's what we talked about last week. This morning we're going to move on, deal with a few more verses. But before we do, I want to talk to you about something. I know that I have mentioned this at some point in the past, but I think the illustration works, and so I want us to think, it about, think about it again this morning. I think... I've mentioned, pretty sure that I've mentioned, that growing up, we would make trips a couple of times a year down to my grandparents' house in Houston. We were always down there for at least one holiday a year, and something that my grandparents would do to provide kind of a time waster for those who were interested is they would go out and they would buy a large puzzle, usually a thousand-piece puzzle. And what it would look like in my grandparents' house was this, is a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion, but over in one area of the house, a card table would be placed or would be set up with the chairs around it, and if you wanted to mess with the puzzle, you could do so. And so what it would look like and what would happen is this, is somebody would get that box, they would take it over the table, and they would just dump out all the pieces on top of that table. And if you've ever done a puzzle, you know what generally happens after that. They set the box up over to the side because that is the master plan, so to speak. That is what the puzzle is supposed to look like in just a matter of a few moments or in a few hours or sometimes days. And so once the pieces have been poured out and the box has been set up, people would begin, if they were sitting at the table, they'd begin flipping all the pieces over to their right side up and they would begin separating the flat edges from the crooked edges so that they knew what the parameter would be or what the border would be. And then eventually they would start getting the reds together, the greens together, the blues together, whatever colors were present, and they'd begin sorting the puzzle in that fashion. Now as that would happen, here's what I remember from my years as a child going to my grandparents' house watching all this take place that no one at the table ever seemed to be in a real hurry. 
They could just sit there for hours and just try this piece. No, that piece doesn't fit. Well, here, try this piece. Does that fit? No, that piece doesn't fit. And, you know, there'd be some shuffling around of the pieces, and there'd be some trying and, and, and pressing and trying to make it work. No, that doesn't work. And, and so that piece would be discarded, and maybe another piece would be grabbed. And, and really, maybe for days, a piece of the puzzle may sit there and never be touched, never be moved, and, and, and never even really be messed with. And, and yet there was never this sense of anxiety or this need to rush on the part of the ones doing the puzzle just sit there very slowly and methodically, just work it and work it and work it and work it, until usually the day before we left, somebody would say, hey, we got it finished. If you want to come look at it, it's done. As I thought about that experience, as I thought about that time over and over that I would see at my parents' house or grandparents' house and how this played out, I thought to myself this week, I wonder what would happen if you could humanize those pieces of puzzle. So what do you mean, humanize those pieces of puzzle? I wonder what it would be like if you gave those pieces of puzzle a personality and said, because of your personality and because of your ability to think now and to express yourself, I wonder what those pieces of puzzle would have said and what those pieces of puzzle would have thought. I wonder if the pieces of puzzle would have ever expressed a thought like this. I love what I am. I'm a corner piece. I'm important. I'm significant. I'm, I'm crucial to this whole thing working out. I mean, I'm a corner piece. There's only four of us. Man, I'm glad to be a corner piece. I wonder if there had been some that would have said something like this. Well, I may not be a corner, but at least I'm a flat piece. I mean, I'm pretty important in this part. I wonder how many of them would have said something like this. I hate my piece. I'm dirt. You know, in this big, beautiful picture... You've got the sky here, you've got the pond here, you've got the birds here, and you've got all this other stuff. Then you have this patch of dirt, and I'm dirt. I mean, think about it. If pieces of puzzle could express thoughts like humans, you'd hear something like that, would you not? I'm dirt. I, I, I hate being dirt. I mean, good grief. If they leave out the dirt, nobody's going to walk by and say, oh, man, it would have been so much prettier without the, or with the dirt. No. I mean, the dirt knows nobody cares about it. Just we're dirt. I wonder if the pieces of puzzle could express themselves that they would have said something like this. I've been sitting here for days, and no one's touched me. No one's picked me up. No one even seems to care that I exist. Hello, I'm over here with all the other reds. I'm over here with all the other browns or whatever it may be. You can kind of hear that happening, can't you? you say, no, you're weird. Well, I'm just saying, if pieces of puzzle could express themselves like humans, you would have some who were fine with what they were and content with where they were at and the position they held and, and, and all that they contributed. And no doubt there would be some who wouldn't really care for where they were at or for how long they had been overlooked or for what they seemed to be contributing, which wasn't much to the overall picture. 
And yet here is what the workers of the puzzle know. Every piece is important to make it right. You know, for a puzzle worker, there's not many things more frustrating than getting to the end and realizing, I don't have that piece. I mean, we got 999 pieces. Somebody find that other piece. Trust me, I've heard that conversation at Thanksgiving. Somebody help us find that last piece of the puzzle. Now, all I'm saying is this. We don't know what a piece of puzzle would say. But again, the ones working the puzzle would know all of this is important. Whether it be the corner, whether it be an edge, or some piece of the puzzle inside the overall picture. That in mind, I want us to look this morning in verse number 9. Verse number 9, we're going to look at a few verses today, and we're not going to cover all of it because some of it is repetitive. Things that we've dealt with in previous messages. But in verse number 9, Solomon said this, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? What is Solomon saying? He's saying this, all right, you've got people who work and you have people who labor. You have people who get up and, and they do things with their lives. They have a job. They have a responsibility. They have a source of income, whatever it may be. But he said, past that, what profit hath he in this work that he labors in? The answer to such a question really is obvious if you think about it. That long term, there's really not much value to what a person does in this life. Now, I don't say that to be negative. I don't say that to try to rain on anybody's parade right now. Because you and I do understand, I think, the biblical, biblical command that we're supposed to work, we're supposed to contribute, we're not supposed to be idle, we're not supposed to be lazy. We understand that. But if we're honest, here's what we know. At the end of their lives, there's not just a whole lot of profit to what we contributed to the society except us just getting up and doing what needed to be done. I don't know about you, but I look at my own line of work, and, and, and here's what I know in the next 50 years, whatever God may give me, I mean 50 if I'm very fortunate, if God gives me 50 more years, one of these days I'm going to pass, and I'm, I'm going to leave this earth, and I'm going to enter into eternity, and though I have probably, hopefully, been a help to some, most of what my life will consist of is just trying to be faithful to do what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know that there will be a great profit or a great benefit from it this side of heaven. Because so much of what we do really does not have eternal value to it. Again, it's just the element of obedience to what we are doing. So, he asked the question, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Verse number 10, he said, I have seen the travail or the work which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. So he's watched, he's noticed, he's observed, he's taken this in that, that God has given to all men this this travail or this work, and we exercise it, we engage in it, we're a part of the process. But again, if we're honest, not too much about what we do is eternal in this life. 
So if you skip down to verse number 12, he said this. I know that there is no good, no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. So what is Solomon doing? Solomon is repeating what he has already expressed back in chapter 2, that the best thing that would happen and what the best would be for men and women to do is just to, again, enjoy where they're at, to take advantage of what they've been blessed with because this is a gift from God. Recognize that what you're doing is not overly important in the grand scheme of things. Recognize that what you are doing really isn't that eternal. Recognize that what you're doing, it, it could probably go undone and most people wouldn't miss it. But that's okay because God has given you this travail. God has given you this work. And so what you need to do is whatever it provides for you, whatever it gives to you, just enjoy it because that is a gift from God. Okay? So that is something that even in the last few weeks I've had to remind myself of. I don't know if you've had to remind yourself of it, but I've had to remind myself of this. Just enjoy what God has given you and just take advantage of His goodness in your life. Nothing wrong with that. If we want to sit here and act like, well, I'm not going to, that, that's up to you, but, but that's what we need to do. Just take advantage of what God has given us, be thankful for it, and move on. Now, if you look in the middle part of verse number 11, in the middle part of verse number 11, we'll get to the first part in just a few minutes, but in the middle part of verse number 11, Solomon made this statement. Also he hath set the world in their heart. Also he hath set the world in their heart. Now here's what most scholars would agree with, that whenever Solomon uses the word he there, that is a reference to God. All right, So he is writing of God and what God has done. And he said in verse number 11 that he, God, hath set the world in their heart. Now we know what the heart is. It's a reference to who we are internally, correct? It is our inner man. So he said that God hath in our hearts, the heart of men, he hath set the world in their heart. What does it mean to set the world? It means to place something in the heart of man. So very simply, Solomon said, he hath set the world or he has placed the world in the heart of man. So the world, what do we think of when we think of the world? Well, I don't know about you, but I think about this big round thing that we're all existing on. Now, this may seem to make sense, like, okay, he's put the world in our heart, but I don't know about you, but, but generally speaking, I don't think about the world too much. I, I don't wake up every day thinking about this world that's been put in my heart by God. So it's kind of interesting, and some would disagree with this, but it's amazing how many people agree with this because of the original language, but this word world is also not just a reference to this big round thing that we live on, but it's also a reference to time and eternity. Of time and eternity. Now again, the context, I think, would, would bear this out, that it makes sense and it's at least reasonable for us to consider it from this perspective. He said in verse number 11, Solomon did from this perspective, that he, God, hath set in the hearts of man this idea or this understanding of time and eternity. And if you think about it, that is absolutely true. It is absolutely correct that it is not just Christians who have come up with this idea of life after death. 
I mean, if you go to a foreign country, if you go to a third world country, if you go to a place that has never had any kind of access to the outside world, if you begin to look and you begin to observe, what will you find? You'll find that many of these people have set up some kind of a religious system, have they not? As they have set up this religious system, as they have set up this belief system of whatever it would consist of, isn't it amazing that the more you learn about other religions and other beliefs and other practices, it is amazing how many people believe that there is some kind of life after this life. That's why they pray to the spirits. That's why they believe in reincarnation. That is why they believe all different sorts of things. Again, what I want us to understand is time and eternity, that is not something that Christians came up with. For centuries, people have believed in life after death. Well, where would such a universal belief come from? It could only come from the fact that God hath set that in the heart of man to believe and to know that there's got to be more than this. There's something after this. Surely I am not just on this earth for 30, 40, 60, 70, 90 years, whatever it may be, and that be it, for someone to believe that life only consists of the years that you have on this earth and then you're done, that is a choice they have made because in their heart of hearts they can't really believe it. Because God hath put it in the hearts of man, this world, this awareness, that there is more time out there than what I've been given on this earth. So as he makes this statement, also he has set the world in their heart. Notice what he went on to say. He said, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. What does it mean to find out? It means this, to attain something. It means to come to an understanding of something. I want us to hear this, all right? Because of what God has put in our hearts by way of an understanding and an awareness that there is more to this life and there is more to this, this existence that we have than just the years that we have on this earth, that there is eternity beyond this. Solomon said that he hath set the world in our heart so that man, we, might be able to attain this understanding that the word uh, that the, that can man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end, what God has done has given us an understanding of eternity, so that we can understand that God is involved in this work that is from the beginning to the end, but it is something greater than you and I. Isn't that a good thing to know that God is working on something greater than you and I and bigger than our minds can understand? I've said this before, I'd like to say it again. But I am thankful that I cannot understand everything about God. God would be a great disappointment if I could understand everything about Him. If God was on my level, if God was on your level, it would be quite disappointing. 
He would not be special. He would not be superior. And so here is what God has done. He has placed within our hearts this awareness that there is something out there by way of time and eternity. And He has given us that so that no man can find out or actually attain the work that God is involved in from beginning to end. There is no way that I can grasp what God did in eternity past. And there is no way that I can grasp what God will do in eternity future. It's just that simple. And you'll not figure it out either. Oh, but Brother Kyle, I'm very smart. You're not that smart. Let's listen. Oh, Brother Kyle, I've studied it out. Okay, you haven't studied it out well enough to know. We don't know. It is impossible for us to know. Here's what we do know, though. That the work that we're involved in, whatever it is we're engaged in, We know it's not eternal. We know that in and of itself there's not some long-term benefit to it, so to speak, again, other than obedience on our part and to be faithful to what God has called us to do. So what we need to do is just enjoy what God has given us and recognize it as a gift from God. But notice in verse number 11 what Solomon said of God. He said, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. He has made everything beautiful in His time. I've asked us this question before. I want to ask you again this morning. What does everything mean? It means everything. So He's made everything beautiful. What does it mean for everything to be made beautiful? It means this, for something to be made fair, for it to be made handsome, for it to be made comely, for it to be made pleasant. God is making or has made everything beautiful. But the key to the statement is this, is God hath made everything beautiful in His time. In His time. See, here's what Solomon is beginning to understand, and here's what Solomon is beginning to to come to grips with in his own personal life. Okay, not much of what I'm doing, Solomon would say, is of eternal value. The homes I built, the orchards I built, these singers that I have, all these things that I've acquired, oh, okay, there's not much eternal value to that, and, and Solomon recognizes it. So what do I need to do? I just need to enjoy it. I just need to enjoy it. Recognizing this, that everything that is happening and everything that is taking place, it is a result of God working on the bigger picture of making everything beautiful But he does it in his time, not man's time. For just a moment, take the cover of that puzzle, that box, the the, the front of the box that, that held the pieces of the puzzle, okay? The one who is working the puzzle, they set it to the side and they see the grand picture. They see what will be. They see what the finished product will be. Now see, here we are. We've got this limited knowledge of time. We know that eternity exists, but we can't quite figure out what all God is doing, right? 
Yet here is God, and you know what he sees? Because he is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. You know what God sees? He sees the entire picture and everything he is seeking to accomplish. As God has this finished product in place, here's what he's doing. He's moving the pieces of the puzzle exactly where they need to be when those pieces of the puzzle need to be placed in the masterpiece, the finished product. You understand this? God does it in His time. Well, why does He do it in His time? Because He's not worried about time. God has eternity. He has the beginning to the end. So he's not worried about this. He's not worried about the timing of all this. He's not worried about, well, I better hurry and do this, and I better hurry and do this, because God's not bound by time. He's not worried about it. So here's God, and what Solomon said is, is you know, I mean, he's making everything beautiful in his time. And we're a part of that Everything. I want to ask you something. Since we're not really pieces of a puzzle, cardboard puzzle, I want to ask you, do we have to really stretch our thought process to humanize us? I hope not. <laughs> we have to stretch it for some people maybe, but, but of ourselves we'd say, you know, I, I'm, I'm human and, and so it's not a real stretch for me to humanize myself as a human. What does that mean? Well, it means that in this world, that nothing included except people. Right now, there are over 7 billion pieces of the puzzle. Right now, on earth, there are over 7 billion pieces. That'd take more than a card table. Out of seven billion pieces, how many do we reflect and represent? One. I'm just one piece out of a current seven plus billion. And as the population is moving, you know what it'll become in the near future? It'll become eight billion. And that doesn't even include all the millions and billions in the past. Well, this is not making me feel very significant. You know why? Because we're not. Because here's what God has in perspective. He has the whole in perspective. Now, as you and I are humanized in this, as you and I look at this from a human perspective... Here is what I think is true of some people. I think some are perfectly content with where they're at and who they are in this giant puzzle. You know what I mean whenever I say that? They're perfectly content where they're at, what they're doing, they're satisfied. 
They are happy. They couldn't be more thrilled. You know what? I'm just going to go to work every day, and I'm just going to enjoy the fruit of my labor, and I'm going to take advantage of it, and I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm going to say, thank you, Lord. I know that what I'm doing in the grand scheme of things, it isn't too significant. It isn't too important. I understand that. But, God, I'm just so thankful, and I'm just going to enjoy this, and I'm just going to thank you for it on a regular basis. Okay, I believe there are some people who exist that have an attitude like that. But you know where I think many of us live? I think many of us live like the pieces of puzzle who would say things like this. God, seems like you haven't done anything in my life. Seems like you haven't done anything with me in a long time. Like maybe I'm just over here forgotten about. You've probably never felt that way, have you? You just wake up every morning, click your heels and say, Bless God, I know where I'm at. And Other people struggle. I'll just be transparent with you this morning. I struggle sometimes. Because sometimes I'm thinking, Lord... Have you forgotten? God, it seems like you ought to be doing something right now. Lord, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you, why aren't you showing more interest? God, why aren't you more active in my life? And, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, but sometimes I forget that though... He's not really making his activity present in my life. I am still very much a part of what God is doing in the big picture of things. Does this make sense? See, there are times that my timetable and God's timetable are two totally different things. So God, you need to hurry, and God, I need you to take care of this, and God, I need you to move me here and place me here and do this, do this, do this. And, and, and I forget that God is not working on my timetable. He is working on His timetable. And so though it seems like well, He's forgotten about me or He's overlooking me or He's working with someone else and not me, I've got to remember that in due time, He'll address me when I need to be addressed. And if he's not addressing me and working with me and doing something in my life, I need to just be content to just sit still and, and, and sit still. Sometimes I struggle with this. I thought I was more than dirt. Brother Kyle, Lord bless you. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for affirmation. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just telling you that sometimes I've thought, Lord, I thought I had more to contribute than this. I thought I'd be a part of the rainbow. I thought I'd be a part of the the beautiful scenery. 
I didn't think I'd be the dirt. I didn't think I'd be the moss on the water. I, I didn't think that my part would be that rust on the pickup sitting out there in that landscape. I, I, I thought I'd contribute something better than this. Have you ever looked at your life and thought, I'm not really contributing much? But I've got to be reminded, and maybe some of you have to be reminded, that that's part of the big picture. That that's a part of the puzzle that has to be in place for everything to be the way it's supposed to be in the end. God, I want you to hurry. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to, I want you to be more active in my life. Show yourself in a real way. Okay, that's not up to me. It's all up to Him. And when God decides to move and work and, and produce and, and, and accomplish, that is up to God. That is not up to me. And it's not up to you in your life. Well, God, I don't like what I am. Well, that's too bad. Because this is what you are. So the sooner that I accept God's timetable in my life, and the sooner I accept God's position in my life, the sooner I recognize what little piece I contribute to the big picture and get okay with it, the faster that happens, the better off I'll be. Does this make sense or am I just preaching a good sermon to myself? I've got to stop worrying about my timetable and I've just got to trust the Lord's timetable. I'm either His child or I'm not, but I know this. I'm a part of the puzzle and because I know I am a child of God, I know that He is arranging things and, and he'll get to me when he needs to get to me. And if I just need to sit idle, I just need to sit idle and accept it. And I just need to be happy. And I just need to be thankful that God allowed me to contribute anything to the picture. Well, it's not that impressive. Trust me, I know. It's not too eternal. I, I, I got you. I got you. Listen, I know. I don't know what God is doing. I really don't because I understand that eternity exists, but I cannot begin to understand what God is accomplishing from beginning to end. Uh, listen, I, I know that I don't understand it, so here's what I want to do. I just want to enjoy what I've been given and what I've been blessed with and know that it's a gift of God. And I just want to challenge you this morning. If you ever struggle, I'm not saying you do, but, but I think sometimes we're more human than we'd like to admit. If you ever struggle with God's timing and God's moving in your life, if you ever struggle with where you're at and what you seem to not be accomplishing, just remember we're fortunate and we're blessed to even be a part of the picture. And God will make it all things beautiful in His timing and we will get to be a part of the masterpiece. Remember it. Accept it. Have a better attitude and outlook toward it. And you'll be a lot better off and happier in life. All right? Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning.
Lord, I don't know if anyone other than myself would need this morning's message. I don't know if there would be others in here this morning who would have to admit that they've struggled with your timing. If they would just be honest and transparent before you, they'd have to say that they're upset because it seems like you should be moving faster. God, would you help us today to be patient and to trust your timing? And God, there may be some in here this morning, if they would just be honest and transparent before you, they'd have to be honest and say they don't like where they're at right now. They don't like what they're doing. They don't like what's, what they're contributing. Would you help us today to just sit back and relax and to remember that we're just one small piece of what you're trying to accomplish? Would you help our attitude and our spirit to be right, especially when we're struggling? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.